ever again. <laughs> you know, if you just, if you hate them and you don't want to ever see them again, you think goodbye, don't ever come again. But, but those that we develop bonds with and, uh, and uh, affection and uh, respect, appreciation, friendships, and, and even if it's just even fairly superficial, not very deep, it's still a, you really notice, at least I notice in myself, a, a sense of separating, of leaving as a kind of, as a kind of grief experience. Grief is, is the word I use for, for that kind of feeling of separating from what you like, what you love, So this, you know, there's a, this see you again is a, is a kind of relief to the mind. There's always this hope that we'll meet again. <laughs> and it's not so final as so kind of brutal. Because life is, a, is, is this is experience of, of that we all, you know, that the Buddha pointed directly to is that, that this, the realm of form is always about birth and death and meeting and separation. It's like a mini-death also, you can see it in terms of like separation, death, all these, these kind of words convey the ending or the, of something. And, uh, to <coughs> To get to know that feeling, so that you, you know, you're you're kind of welcoming that feeling and and and, and totally accepting it, because it's something we can we can dismiss. We can just say, well, you know, we'll meet again and and start and you get on to the next thing and and uh, so it's, you know, the mind quite <clears throat> doesn't want to dwell in the in a grief state usually. <clears throat> until maybe somebody you really love a lot dies or leaves and, and then you feel a tremendous loss at their absence. But if you notice uh, just uh, throughout a lifetime is, there is this natural feeling of uh, like, like a sense of loss a loss of innocence, or a loss of of uh, security, loss of or friends that that go away, move to another place. In childhood, where you maybe moved to another place, or you your playmates moved away, or you went to a different school, you can detect all kinds of just little little uh, experiences of of separation. Uh, that uh, oftentimes never are, you know, merely kind of ignored or not 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 really seen. One of the big grief experiences I remember was when my cat died when I was about ten or eleven. That was a critical sense of grief. <laughs> And, uh, but that was a that was a big grief. But the uh, I'm, I'm also pointing to 
just the little ones, like this is the end of the retreat. And, uh, and then there's been a kind of sense of coming together in the beginning and then, then we, we, we've been through what, uh, the, during the three months, the various, uh, you know, experiences of uh, positive and negative and indifferent feelings. And we've, uh, but the endeavor here has been very much to support and, and it, so, I mean, we've come together for very kind of honorable uh, reasons, you know, so it's, it's been very wholesome with him. Nobody's here to just think of themselves and get what they can at the expense of the rest. There's a sense of kind of giving and supporting and uh, cooperating, helping, uh, encouraging. Uh, and then this, this of course, is... Uh, and then, then there's also the natural frictions that arise. It's the, the kind of aggravations of, of uh, living together and, and irritating each other, things like this. So, <laughs> that this, uh, these are all, this is all Dhamma, isn't it? You're never going to get a perfect relationship where it's all just uh, a bowl of cherries, a bed of roses. My sister's good at mixed metaphors. She used to say, a, a bed of cherries and a bowl of roses. <laughs> but they uh, contemplate this. Because in, in the, like I found grief a very, I mean, I, I just see how much grief there is in a human life. It's just natural to it. There's nothing, like, there's nothing wrong with grief. Nothing like that, that it's, that if you feel grief, there's something wrong with you, or there, or that it uh, shows you're weak, or that it's uh, an emotion that, that you shouldn't be feeling, because it's a very natural feeling to this realm. This is a realm where there's a lot of grief in our lives. Because all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. And so that's, that's, a, that's a reflective teaching. I remember when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's really depressing. <laughs> all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become mine forever. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, when we die, we'll all go to the same place and live happily ever after. Or something, you know, kind of the, the ways that the mind can think positively, because it is kind of a sad, very, brings up a lot of sadness in the, in the, in the, when you're pointing to this realm that we're actually living in. And this is a realm where there's this ongoing separation taking place meeting, separating, coming, going. And then the, the, the way to reflect on that is to, 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 to note it, to feel it, to be with it. 
like like you were you were pointing out yesterday, and it's been. Uh, it's not a cold kind of chilly objectivity that I'm that I'm that I'm encouraging, but a, a kind of real embracing of of a, of the feeling. So you know, there's a difference between blind indulgence and and suppression. Those are the two extremes, where you have an emotion and you just get lost in it and get carried away by it, and uh, with no mindfulness, but just total kind of absorption into it. And then the other extreme is the pushing away, resisting, rejecting thing. Those are the, the two extremes. The Gamma Sukalikanu Yoko Atta Kilimatanu Yoko in the in the uh, Tamajaka Sutta. So one extreme is total commitment to it, and the other is rejection of it. But then the mindfulness isn't uh, is in is in no way suppressing or or judging this this awareness, not judging, not making any kind of critical comments about it. So it's not like saying, oh, I'm feeling grief right now, and it feels like this, and I shouldn't be attached to it. And, and that's, that's, that's more like resisting. That's, you're just deluding yourself, and that's what you're doing. But, you know, because you're just trying to be kind of cool and uninvolved with your emotions. But, but when you're, but when, but emotions are like this, so you, you say, the way it is, you know, so you're feeling the emotion, you're, you're really, understanding the emotion or embracing it. You're fully accepting it and feeling it. And there's no resistance, no judgment about it. It's like this, you know, so you really, it's, it's very real, but it, and, and, but it's also, there's wisdom there and there's, there's knowing and, and then insight comes through that. So like, like just in, in uh, grief, uh, you know, it's not a matter of uh, even, I mean, uh, uh, you know, breaking down and crying and, and uh, making a, a big emotional scene, but to, to just to observe that, to, to, to be kind of fully willing to feel what, to know what you are feeling without making any, you know, trying to avoid the sense of judging it, making criticisms about it, or or blaming it, blaming somebody for what you're feeling. The other is another one we tend to do. You made me feel this way, and that. but but when we're whatever way we're feeling. It doesn't matter so much, you know, the cause of it, like if somebody said something or but to to really or you know, if if it's just a you know, we can say, I'm too sensitive is one way of looking at it, or somebody else is totally insensitive and that's another <laughs> but and that doesn't deny those those uh, those kind of uh, Conditions, but it's it's not it's not blaming yourself or blaming. It's like this, you know. 
grief is like this. And when you're really open to it, then it's, it's uh, you know, you're, you're, it's like the first noble truth, the, the uh, dukkha and the understanding of dukkha. So you, to understand something, you have to really accept it. You can't understand anything if you're always resisting or, or just being deluded, caught up in the illusions you have around it, or the, or just trying to dismiss it. You know, like like uh, understanding dukkha is stand uh, the standing under dukkha. Raymond Conicar he uses this in his uh, reflections on the phone. <laughs> understanding is standing under. <laughs> you're, you're, you're taking it, feeling it. And then this, uh, the memory that we carry with us, like to, um, like we can go away from here, maybe because we had, maybe we've had some something, some unpleasant experience, and then we can go away with a very negative view, or we, or we have very positive experience. But whatever, whatever uh, it is, you know, it's, that's the way it is. You know, so you, and the, the way it is isn't, is, is not like a, it's not a fatal resignation thing. It's just a, it's just a, a way of recognizing. That I feel actually. I feel like this. Maybe I don't feel anything. Maybe maybe I'm glad to go get out of here. And, and, and even that is to know that is understanding. You know, or to think that you should be feeling grief when you're leaving here. <laughs> Is, is a is another <laughs> is another one. It's not not a matter of what it is, you know. But to to know it, it's this way. Feels like this. One of the things that's interesting here is that um, I don't know all the way people here, but. Seems like the majority of the people here are actually staying here uh, after the retreat. So, except for Bart Marion and maybe Kevin Siri and some um, few others, there's, there's only a few that are actually going. So the the ending is is for most of us is more about the ending of being on retreat mode and kind of moving into a kind of more busy mode. And so the the grief is more. About and it would be about, oh my God, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, being more interactive and, you know, as compared to, you know, savoring the kind of preciousness of the peace and quiet and really realizing that got to let go of that and move into a situation where it's much less peace and quiet and you get to come to more meetings and, and, and you know, we all have to kind of get to more, kind of stirred up with the engagements of, of the other kind of the rest of the year of the monastic kind of routine, and so it's a lot of the, the grief is about, you know, seeing that this the true situation is. What we're what you've enjoyed is ending. <laughs> 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 then you can look at it. Yeah.
oh, more meetings and engagements and planning for the grand opening. Wow, it's wonderful. <laughs> 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 They say some people that have been in prison a long time grieve when they leave. <laughs> but when I got my discharge from the Navy, <laughs> I don't remember feeling grief. <laughs> I remember going out, <laughs> I was discharged in a, in a place called Naval Base between San Francisco and Oakland. It's on an island between the, the two. Oakland is on one side of the San Francisco Bay and, and San Francisco is on the other side. And the, there's the Oakland Bay Bridge and the Oakland Bay Bridge goes from Oakland to Treasure Island and then then there's another bridge goes from Treasure Island to San Francisco. So I was just, and the Treasure Island was a big naval base then. They've closed it down. But I remember walking out that gate of Treasure Island Naval Base and thinking, I'll never have to go in this <laughs> kind of euphoria. <laughs> One of the great moments of, I remember, of real euphoria. <laughs> Something very nice about the act of 
meditation. Just the act of having done that that's the beginning to do this. See what, what comes up and just stay for the duration. Just on that note, one of the um, ceremonies that we have uh, in the monastic tradition is the uh, occasion of, of asking, asking for dependence and asking for forgiveness. And at the beginning of the retreat, <coughs> the monks and nuns, nuns ask for dependence on them for anything about And at the end of the retreat, they ask for forgiveness. And as a... Um, it's a, a completion ceremony, it's a way of, of, um, of um, acknowledging the time together and acknowledging if there's been anything that we've done that's been of distress or causing any kind of um, upset. We acknowledge that and ask for forgiveness. And so tonight at the evening puja, after the uh, sitting, after the meditation, and we will be the most nice and new people who are interested are welcome to ask for forgiveness for them. And Yoko, I think, is going to have these, um, the chanting printed out for the people who don't know it. So we'll, we'll pass it out at the meantime for the new people who, who don't know that chanting. So you can join in if you want. And you, even if you don't know the chanting as much, just to take part in the ritual of just bowing and you know, just feeling part as a group that we just all do this together. And then after that, we'll come back in here for our sharing more poems or stories or what to say, or as long or as short as that is. Have a cup of tea and talk with you. Kitchen rotor, and uh, and you get the pieces will fall in place 
I find that this the the whole practice leads to a real a sense of engagement and 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 uh, fulfillment of life. You know, like this meditation, it, it doesn't it hasn't made me feel like uh, I mean it brought me into a state of very, of a kind of sense of presence and appreciation rather than. A, kind of remote and distant and otherworldly attitude like sometimes it, it, it might seem when it's a spiritual life it makes you kind of above it all and distant and and uh, and kind of looking down on it in a way but it but I, I find that actually the mindfulness practice uh, and the like the using the Four Noble Truths as a kind of basis for reflection. It's not suffering, it's causes, cessation, and way of non-suffering. That over a, over a long period of time, as you really develop skill in that, and what it does to the mind is it really brings a clarity and a presence to the mind. So you're getting to really understand that the, the purity and the, the clarity of being. And let's say like, Gati, uh, gati, paragati, parasangati, bodhiswaha, the kind of uh, mantra after the Heart Sutra. Dachyada, gati, gati, paragati, parasangati, bodhiswaha. Remember, what's that? <laughs> and then one translation was, it actually made no sense to me, one translation into English was, uh, Gone, gone, gone beyond, gone forever beyond something or other. And, uh, you know, it sounded like you're, you're uh, you know, like the idea is to kind of go off away from everything and and uh, and and disappear into space. Uh, I mean, it didn't have it. Didn't 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 uh, kind of resonate in the heart. But that was before I ever meditated, you know, and I read the Heart Sutra, I couldn't understand it anyway. It was all like, like just reading uh, words that didn't make any sense. But then in the practice, as a practice, because you're, you're developing on this intuitive level, you know, I first started meditation. I, I wasn't, and it wasn't that I lacked intuition, I just never used it, didn't even know what it was. I was a kind of, you know, a reasonable, trained my mind to think rationally and that heart sutra is not a rational expression <laughs> so you kind of, you just think it doesn't make any sense it's nonsense but in terms of uh, uh, then of, of practice and learning to trust more in a, in a presence and awareness then then that mantra is translated as uh, pure presence is ever transcending and so, but even transcending is, uh, does have a sound, you know, like the English word transcending tends to make it sound like you're rising above everything. Where, where I experience a transcendence is more like a including everything. So everything belongs, you know, so it's not like you're kind of 
separating yourself from the world and, and above it all, like transcendent to me does have that kind of meaning in a way. So like I'm transcending the world as I'm above it all. It no longer means anything to me and, and uh, I live in a realm of pure presence that has is no more connected to the conditioned realm. But then in terms of actual experience, it's like it's embracing everything. It includes. It's like it's grand, it's vast, it's it's inclusive rather than than it's higher than the world. You know, it's above the world. It's not like that. And so the world then is 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 uh, is included in the mind, but it's not. It's no longer. You're no longer deluded by the by the conditions of the world. You're no longer. You see. You've seen through your own delusions around what about the five khandhas. You've seen through that. The five khandhas are what they are. So not not that. They should. They're just irrelevant or dismissed. But they're. They are what they are, and so they're included and they're, they're respected accordingly. So the condition, the unconditioned, and the knowing. Just to just encourage that uh, this, this practice because it is uh, it's profound and it uh, and it works, but you got to keep keep doing it, you know, because it even your great points of despair that's part of it too. Even when you hate Buddhism and you, and you the last thing you ever want to do is become a monk or a nun or or uh, or you you just feel totally averse to to Buddhist monks or or Vinaya or or Theravada or anything. It's all all those are mental states, aren't they? That are included. They're not they're not to be <clears throat> attached to or or rejected. But it's Christopher the Mill. So the whole the whatever you're feeling, you know, it is not there's any way you should feel but whatever it is, it's like this. And so then you then you have a way of, of really it's a path that is present here and now. It's not, not a path that depends on thinking in a certain way and and uh, feeling in a certain way. It's not a not a not a state of of uh, of things that you need support. You need conditions to support a particular path. This path is now. It's it's a whatever is now. Is is on the path, whatever it is, and so you keep. And it's a challenging one because there's so many things that are so kind of, you know, quite seductive and quite enchanting or quite horrific and things like this. So you've, you've got to, you know, it's. It's even in the holy life, like being a monk for all these years, being a Buddhist monk. You know, I think, going to be a Buddhist monk, I'm going to live a peaceful life in a little hut. 
I've never lived such an interesting, exciting existence as I have as a Buddhist monk. <laughs> I've been everywhere, done all kinds of adventures and everything. And, uh, and it's not, not that I sought it either, it just happened. It quite surprised me. But, but it's also, it's not what I was expecting when I, when I ordained. I never expected to be living in the UK as a Buddhist monk. I still think that's very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Living in Hertfordshire, building a temple in Hertfordshire. But it, it's, uh, but the despair is part of it, the, the anger, the fear, everything is. You know, it's all grist for the mill, it's all the path. Uh, nasty thoughts, everything is, is a part of it. <laughs> There's nothing that, that, that you can think, do, or say that you can't use for the path. You see, so this is, this is, this is, uh, uh, this is very important because the, the tendency of the mind, the discriminative mind, is to is to uh, see it in terms of of uh, good and bad, right and wrong, a very kind of it should be like this and it shouldn't be like that, or I should be like this, I should think like this, I shouldn't be thinking like this, I shouldn't be feeling like this, and that and that kind of. Way then, then we find like a, a community, religious community, can be very intimidating. If you think religious people were all saints and we we all have just very wonderful thoughts of loving kindness all the time, and our minds are very high and very pure and very good, and and that we never have any any uh, untoward thoughts or or uh, corrupt tendencies or anything, and then you then you then you start judging yourself as being a, in, in, a, in a negative way. But when you, when you talk to any, any of the monks, or like Lung Po Cha was, was very straightforward about, you know, the, the, what he, he dealt with in his monastic life. And, uh, and it was very encouraging to know that, that he just wasn't born, uh, you know, in a, in a state where, and, and lived a, a completely pure life from the day one, and uh, never had any obstructions or difficulties. It just Because that's sometimes what you project on, like when I met Ajahn Chah, he, well, he's probably never suffered like I have, you know. He's, he's probably, you know, has so much barami, and, and he's uh, probably, you know, a higher kind of, higher level of human being than I am. So, uh, so it's easy for him, but then, when, <laughs> but when you talk to him, when you get to know him, you know he he'd uh, been through the through the gamut of from A to Z <laughs> in the human experience, emotions and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this is why, like, like the human realm is like this. It's not an ideal realm, but it's like this. And so, you, what is it like? And then, like the in twenty-two indrias, the faculties. That's that's a good one to use sometimes, just to like to start to get to know what, like, be, having a female body. What is it like as experience? You know, so you're kind of you're not trying to define it, but just get to know the effect on the mind, the purity of the mind, like the silent mind, and then there's the effect of the body on that mind or the male the male condition so you're you're actually contemplating the things that are actually affecting conscious experience it's not judgmental it's not comparing but it's, it's like this so then you understand you feel you can understand but problems that evolve around being male or female or being human. Because ideally we think we're all the same, we should all love each other, and that's an ideal. But the, the reality of the moment is, the, is that, that we're not equal in the present in terms of what we're thinking or feeling. You can imagine that as being possible until we're you know, till we've, 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 uh, the, the death moment of the body, where we return to the origin. And then there's no, then the, and there's nothing to, uh, then the conditioned realm is no longer the, the, the uh, kind of powerful influence. But each one of us has these conditions, this condition here, to, to understand and to learn from. And then to know like, like the six realms of existence, like demonic, demonic feelings. You know, we're not always even human beings. This could be a, what we call human bodies, but we can have demonic, you can see, you know, really evil or wanting to destroy destructive or malicious tendencies or we can be very like angels you know who are very refined and, and live in the realm of, of that, that loves just very high-minded thoughts and refined uh, aesthetic experiences but they but then the this, this realm we live in, it, it offers us level of perspective on all the six realms, from heaven to hell. So, uh, uh, I really appreciate the, the uh, lay support group. I haven't heard any complaints. <laughs> quite rare, isn't it? <laughs> so, you, you can, uh, it really, uh, really means a lot to, to, uh, to the, uh, 
seminars to have that such a wonderful opportunity the winter's retreat and uh, always like like here now at Amravati it's like it's like a new chapter is opening this is, this is my perspective anyway I'm, I'm, <laughs> this year is the end of the century uh, isn't it? 1999, end of the millennium, <coughs> and uh, I'm 65, <laughs> and the temples, the temple opening will be like the, the kind of grand finale, uh, you know, the, how this whole temple project is then uh, finished, officially finished, and, uh, and I'm in a very good place in my mind. <laughs> And so I, I, I don't have any uh, any plans for the future. So, uh, so just uh, think, think like Amravati can be like an offering to uh, a place uh, like a sanctuary or a place to look to, uh, to try to to for inspiration, for encouragement, for opportunity, things like that. So both in the monastic community but the lay community also see it as a you know as a place to you know to really uh, to think about to you know when you're away from it to, to kind of hold that image of not the Amravati in terms of a personal impression but more as a as a as a memory of the, the deathless realm or the opportunity encouragement to practice, to develop, to be enlightened, be liberated. <laughs> and so it's, and it's right here in, in uh, the UK. So it's, uh, you know, it's right on a, on a hill in, uh, in, a home, in the home counties. It's uh, it's easily accessible, and uh, so it's uh, something to to uh, to use as a, as a symbol, as a something to uh, encourage, and because we do need things that that will really uh, that that help us to remember. As I said, we forget when we leave or separate and we can forget and we get caught up in all the the worldly uh, the urgencies of the world and, and the intimidations so just you know remember some simple act of remembering and then like this this is a very strong image in the Amravati temple and it has a strong unique presence in itself 